Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hey guys, it's Robert from The College Investor here, and today I want to talk to you about how investing in crowdfunded real estate will impact your taxes. So crowdfunded real estate has gained wide appeal in the past couple of years. I know we recommend it a lot on The College Investor. It is a great way to get started in real estate for a very low amount. For example, you could start investing in real estate for as low as $500 in some cases, and you can get into like some big property for as little as $5,000. But if you are new to crowdfunded real estate and new to real estate investing in general, you could be surprised by your taxes this year and what the tax implications of investing in a crowdfunded real estate assets look like. It's different than investing in a stock or a CD or you know other types of things that you might be used to. So I want to spend a little bit of time today and talk about how crowdfunding real estate is taxed and how it can get complex depending on the type of investments. So let's talk about a few different scenarios so that you can get a handle on how crowdfunding real estate investments will be impacting your taxes this year. So the first thing to think about is the investment structure. And There are a few different types of structures and deals that investors commonly find on crowdfunded real estate sites. Um, Depending on the type of investor you are, you could be accredited or non-accredited. Accredited Accredited investors have more opportunities to invest than non-accredited investors, but they also bear more risk. Some real estate crowdfunding sites only allow accredited investors, while others allow both. The difference is projects that an accredited investor will often invest in are called equity projects or preferred equity. This means that the investor is actually becoming a partner in that company, which is often an LLC. And profits and losses from these LLCs will flow through to the investors. Because of this flow through, the LLC doesn't pay any taxes at all, and all the investors in the project pay at equal taxes to, or well, they pay taxes equal to their share of the LLC. The other common form of real estate crowdfunding is through debt. For this type of investment, investors don't need to be accredited, but they and they don't own equity in the company. With debt investments, the investors earn interest. Most debt structures allow investors to buy shares in a fund, sometimes called a REIT. This scenario, the investor is investing in something similar to a stock or a CD. So what are the tax implications? If you're investing in equity in an LLC or you're investing in debt, maybe through a REIT, what are the tax implications? Well, non-accredited investors buying shares of a fund have the simplest tax impact. They're going to receive a 1099 int from the crowdfunding real estate company they are investing with, and they are taxed at their ordinary income tax rates. If the investor is invested in multiple funds, um, their investments can be aggregated into one 1099 rather than receiving multiple 1099s. You know, it's important that you could also be receiving a 1099 OID, um, which is original discount to debt. It's very similar to a 1099 int, and it's reported in the exact same way. So don't be surprised if you see that version of the form. 
for investors who are investing in equity investments, things get much more complicated. These investors are gonna receive a K-1 um, versus a 1099, and the K-1 is for income through business partnerships. Paul Sundin, he's a CPA and tax strategist, talked a little about this with Realty Shares. So with Realty Shares, Realty Shares investors are investing into a Realty Shares LLC, which in turn is investing into a sponsorship or sponsored deal that will become a partnership return on which the Realty Shares group, and that's where your K-1 will come from and will flow through the tax attributes to the individual investors. Very complicated, but basically, Realty Shares is one part of a bigger deal, and you're one part of the Realty Shares deal. So, equity investors might also receive interest or capital gains. And interest income can be ordinary income, like previously mentioned, and capital gains um, will get reported on the K 1 as well, and they will be considered long term or short term. Some people believe that they can't claim a loss from their K-1, but this isn't entirely true. Passive losses on a K-1 can only offset other passive income, not investment income. Passive losses, though, can be carried forward to the next year and to the next year. And that's a great thing because if you're invested in the same deal, for example, maybe you're investing in an apartment structure. And if you read through all the prospectus, the, the goal of the apartment is to um, you know, rehab the whole entire thing in year one and then start renting at a, you know, market rents or above in years two and year three. Well, in year one, you might have a passive loss, but then in year two, when your apartment complex starts getting rented again and you start getting income, you could use that passive loss to offset passive gains in the future year. Many equity deals have quarterly distributions, and these can be taxed as income. However, many times there's not, because also when you get the K-1, you get to be, cash flow can be offset by depreciation and other deductions, because you get to have your equal share of the business. So maybe you have you know, management fees and taxes and all these other things that are gonna offset your cash flow. So at the end of this long-term investment, when the property is sold, you know the gains and losses from the property will also go through to the investor on the K-1. So it's important to note that this K-1 also comes very late. So for businesses, businesses can file their tax returns in March, and typically many of them do get extensions and they file later, in which case you're not gonna get the K-1 until after the business files their taxes. So that's why many K-1 investors don't see their K-1s until the end of March or early April, which is a tight deadline if you're trying to meet that April 15th deadline. So it's something important to think about just from that timing perspective. So now that you know how you're gonna get taxed and you know what forms are gonna come on, what kind of taxes do you pay? Federal, state, what does that look like? Well, for equity investors that are getting a K-1, they might fall under the state nexus, which might be their state of residence or not. For example, uh, what if this apartment complex that you own and the above, you know, the example we had before, you live in California and the apartment complex is in Arizona. Well. Are you going to have to pay Arizona taxes? Uh, you know, if the state is enforcing the issue, um, investors are going to need to file a return in that state too. Uh, and the investor state of residence will probably provide a credit or, you know, some type of wash to wash that out so you're not getting double taxed. So 
realize this can vary by state though, so make sure you understand the implications of where your investment is and what kind of taxes you're gonna pay if it's in a different state. The other place that this does impact is in uh, owning an MLP or a master limited partnership. And you see this a lot in the oil and gas industry is that there's these MLPs and they also provide K1. And a lot of these oil and gas industries are in the Midwest states all the way, you know, Minnesota, all the way down through the Midwest into Texas and so forth. And, you know, you could pay taxes in 10 different states um, with one investment. So it's something important to think about, um, especially if you're going to invest a heavy sum of money. So final thoughts. There is a lot that can go into the tax consequences of crowdfunding real estate, but it's important to remember it's just like owning an apartment complex, except you're going to own your little sliver of whatever that looks like. So you get to claim all of that, but it also means you're going to have a much more complex tax return as a result of it. So everyone's tax situation is different. If you do have questions or, you know, want more professional advice, it's best to work with a CPA to better understand your unique tax scenario and the impact that crowdfunding real estate will potentially have on it. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Are you investing in crowdfunded real estate? Have you encountered this situation before? If so, let us know in the comments. This is going to be the collegeinvestor.com slash episode 65. And let us know what your thoughts are on taxes, partnerships, crowdfunded real estate, or anything else that's on your mind. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And I will talk to you next time.